0: It's Wednesday, November 14th, and this is The Daily Dive. Amazon has finally announced the big winners in its search for homes for its second and third headquarters. Long Island City in New York and Crystal City in the Northern Virginia area of DC. Each site will split $5 billion in investment from Amazon, and each will have more than 25,000 employees. The consolation prize goes to Nashville, Tennessee, where Amazon will open a new operations center with more than 5,000 jobs. My producer Miranda joins us for all the details and the tax incentives. Next, Democrats have flipped a Senate seat, this time in Arizona, where Rep. Kristen Cinema defeated Rep. Martha McSally. This victory guarantees the Democrats will hold at least 47 seats, Zach Montalero, campaign reporter for Politico, joins us to discuss the strategy that won Cinema the seat and what the win means for Democrats who have not had a win there since 1976. Finally, some shakeups coming to the White House where Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Ricardel has been fired, and rumors of Chief of Staff John Kelly and DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen on the chopping block next. One person we know is out is CNN's Jim Acosta, who had his press pass taken away by the Secret Service. CNN is now suing to get it back. Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios, joins us for the continued fight between the White House and CNN. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: Hello, Chicago. Sorry about the HQ2 rejection. But if it's any consolation, you were the second city we chose. Get it? It's funny because one of your nicknames is the Second City, and that's also the name of the comedy
0: institution in your city. Ha 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 ha. Comedy. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We're going to be talking about the uh, big announcement from Amazon and its headquarters to the winners. It's going to be... HQ2 and HQ3, actually, because they split up the winners. They announced that Long Island City in New York and Crystal City in uh, the District of Columbia in the Arlington, Virginia area are the two winners. They're going to split about $5 billion across the two new offices. Each place is going to get like 25,000 jobs. So it's going to be an economic boon to those two areas. And Amazon says that why they wanted to split it up in the first place was to attract the most amount of highly qualified tech workers possible possible. So what else do we know about the picks that were made?
1: Yeah, it was a decision that kind of surprised nobody. But when you right. think about it, it's an obvious choice to go with New York City and Washington, D.C., especially if you're going to split it up into two, because those are cities people will move to go live in.
0: Right, exactly. And you want to be on the coast. You want to be uh, close to where all the action is. And we'll get into some of the specifics, especially for Jeff Bezos wanting to be in the D.C. area. He owns a house there. He owns the Washington Post. Right. So he's got to be close to all that stuff.
1: This decision came on Tuesday after 24 months of intense jockeying, dating, maybe if you want to consider it like that. One USA Today reporter called it a beauty pageant
0: from the cities. There was like 230 cities that were vying to be the next potential site. They
1: chose the two areas that have long been considered the front runners, even once the 20 finalists were announced back in January, and Amazon had a whole list of requirements, including tax incentives, business-friendly environments, public transportations, re- protections for same-sex workers.
0: They had a long laundry list of demands. A lot of cities lost specifically just because the mass transit there sucked. It just yeah. wasn't up to par, and they're like, well, we can't have this. A lot of our workers use mass transit, and you know they're not your typical commuters.
1: One of the reasons why D.C. was chosen in amongst to being— a white-collar, well-educated workforce. They're also on the Eastern time zone, making it good to stay in touch with their subsidiaries across the Atlantic, saying it's easy to work with London when you're in the East Coast time
0: zone. A lot of these cities offered up incentives to Amazon, like, please come to our city. We'll give you all sorts of tax breaks and things like that. So specifically for Crystal City, right there in that D.C. area, they are incentives from Virginia, specifically $550 million In cash grants over 12 years based off of them creating 25,000 jobs with an average wage of over $150,000. They may be able to claim up to $200 million in funds based on future job creation. Incentives coming from Arlington specifically, $23 million in cash over 15 years based on the growth of the county hotel tax So they're expecting a lot of people, a lot of business, a lot of tourism. Mm -hmm. And so these are all incentives that they got for that location.
1: And the case for New York is probably highest on Amazon's list was, like you said, Oscar, access to tech and other talent. And the city of New York has close to 1.3 million workers in the relative fields of, you know, management, business, finance, math, PR, sales. And New York is also a magnet for young professionals. They want to live in urban areas with rich culture, art scenes, et cetera. And they do have a mass transit system. It's not always running so great, but they (laughs) have one. And it's a city that's large enough to add
0: in another 25,000 people trying to work, trying to find housing. It's along the East River. As you said, they have the mass transit. It's close to the airports. And they've already went through kind of a residential housing boom there with about 16,000 new apartments since 2006, it's the fastest growing community in New York City. For them, that housing crunch maybe not going to happen as much. You know, they'll be able to supply places to live for all those 25,000 incoming. And incentives that they were getting from New York State, 1.5 billion dollars including 1.2 for refundable tax credits, 325 million dollars from the Empire State Development based on how much uh, space they're going to be taking over the next decade. I mean, these things set up these areas for growth, for new potential for so many years to come.
1: But that doesn't come... For free, Oscar, the backlash is already beginning against Amazon. Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this is going to affect her district in Queens. And she says that the neighborhood is outraged, concerned about the high cost of housing, that they're worried that with all these people moving in with their high salaries, They're going to gentrify the neighborhoods and price all these people out of their neighborhoods.
0: That is a legitimate concern. And I know that's one of the biggest things. Also, people are making issue of all these tax incentives. They're Uh saying, hey, we need to make our mass transit better. And you're giving all these people tax credits? Come on. Yeah. Lastly, before we end this, over 230 cities were in the running. They narrowed that list to like 20 cities at the beginning of the year. They have a lot of legitimate reasons for not picking them. One of my favorites was Chicago. They said Chicago's biggest ding is that it's in Illinois, (laughs) the state with the worst credit rating in the nation. So, boom, you're out.
1: My favorite was Newark, New Jersey. A September report found that while Newark would have been the most just choice, they ultimately decided not to because the greater New York area has plenty of highly educated workers, while Newark only had 13.7 percent of people over the age of 25 with a bachelor's degree. Oh,
0: man. Uneducated. A lot of these cities got X'd out because of the traffic or really... Just a lack of any good mass transit. Last thing to note, Amazon did also say that they're opening up a new operations center in Nashville, Tennessee. So they're going to get like 5,000 employees. It's going to be crazy to see how much more Amazon expands. You know, they're moving beyond this e-commerce store, giving you all the things that you're buying online to big tech company with locations on the West Coast and the East Coast now and and slowly taking over the world. So we'll see how they develop over the next few years. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar.
1: We launched this campaign because Arizona veterans and all everyday Arizonans deserve a leader who will fight for them in the United States Senate.
0: Joining us now is Zach Montalero campaign reporter for politico the democratic representative Kristen cinema has defeated republican representative martha mcsally in the battle for the open senate seat there in arizona this gives democrats the second senate pickup of this cycle explain to us what happened because on election night that was not the case and she had this come from behind victory
2: this was a state that was always close even on election night but arizona is a state that always has a lot of outstanding ballots on election day So this race, and anyone would tell you, this race was never over on election night. Martha McSally probably knows this pretty well. Both of her congressional races when she ran, she lost once a very tight race, and she won once in a race that she had a similar post-election day ballot swing. So it's pretty usual for ballots in Arizona to be out.
0: And how did cinema do this? I mean, a lot of people were saying that she moved to the center, even though the Republicans were painting her very liberal, she did take more centrist views.
2: Yeah, that was really her strategy. It was kind of a divergent strategy that the Democratic Party took. In Arizona, we saw Kristen cinema kind of move to the middle and try to strike a middle ground, try to not be, you know, reflexively anti-Trump on everything that she possibly could be. And that this is where the Democrats won. This is a red state that the Democrats, or at least a red leaning state, that the Democrats picked up a Senate seat. In other states, we saw Democrats who more the other direction, so more boldly progressive, and end up suffering losses. States like Texas, Beto work certainly painted himself as more progressive than Chris Sinema has, and certainly Beto had a much higher wall to climb over than Sinema did in Arizona. But it, it kind of was a, a case of divergent strategies this year.
0: And this is also the first Democratic win since 1976. Yeah, the Democrats really have not had much of power in that state for a very long
2: time. It remains to be seen how that state will come, you know, come 2020, come 2022, come 2024, because Arizona will have a Senate election every two years. Through 2024, Arizona will have a Senate election. So there'll be plenty of time for voters to test and retest a party's theory of the case in the state that is it now a swing state or is it just a blip on the radar and cinema will be out.
0: One thing that was kind of interesting was that. Cinema actually beat McSally in her own district, which was uh, I mean, I don't know if she was very popular to begin with or anything, but that was just kind of another little bump for her.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's never fun when you end up losing your constituency. Martha McSally certainly ran differently for the fat race than she has in the past. She... Is at least positioned herself in the past as more of a centrist lawmaker. Probably not so the case this cycle. She certainly embraced the president more readily than she would have in the past if she probably was just running for the House.
0: So what does this do now for the makeup of the Senate? Democrats now have 47 seats, Republicans 51 we're still have an outstanding race in, uh, I think it's in Florida and Mississippi. So we're trying to see if Democrats can make any more gains there. What
2: this does is it caps the Republican gain in the Senate as a net of no more than two seats. They picked up three so far. They want Indiana, Missouri and North Dakota. And right now, Governor Rick Scott is leading in Florida over Senator Bill Nelson. So even if they pick up that Florida and that's four total seats, Democrats took two back. So in a year that which Democrats are largely playing defense, that. There was 10 seats up for re-election in states that the president won in 2016 that Democrats had to defend. Losing a net of two seats is a good year. It's net, you know, People don't like low victories in politics, but Democrats have mounting a defense like that and being able to only have a net loss of two seats is good. Is a good sign for them and gives them an outside shot of actually taking back the Senate in 2020. I can't, God help me that we're talking about it already. Know, but in right? 2020, the Republicans will largely be playing defense. The Democrats passed a, bit, a slim one, but a path to taking the majority in 2020
0: well the 2020 talks i mean they started immediately the day of and after the election the midterm elections so you know as you said it's mind boggling how far ahead we're always looking talk to us a little bit about florida like i said we're still waiting do the democrats have any hope of getting that seat there i know the margins are so razor thin
2: governor scott has led since election day and his lead has been shrinking as more and more votes come in, but I think it's crucial to remember how many votes were really outstanding in the state. Governor Scott has thousands of, has a thousands and thousands of thousands of a vote lead. While percentage-wise it's small, every time we see a recount in at least statewide elections, we see a swing of a couple hundred votes, probably not a couple thousand that Bill Nelson would need to come back. Bill Nelson's camp has still projected confidence. They said, hey, we're still in this, but most recent federal recounts and recounts for you know, governorships and stuff like that and, and major statewide races will not show a swing of this many votes. And the most recent one was probably, I think, Al Franken. And Al Franken went from losing before the recount to winning, but he only ended up swinging a couple hundred votes. So if Nelson wants to come back and win, he needs to swing thousands. And it's just a tough way to find a several thousand vote swing in a state, even with more votes coming in.
0: Right. And Mississippi, there's a runoff. When is that supposed to happen? And a little bit after Thanksgiving. The Republican is very heavily
2: favored. It's Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith. She's currently a senator. She was appointed to fill out the rest of the term versus Mike Epsi or Democrat. And the reason this went to a runoff because there, there was two Republicans running in the special election on actual election day, but a state as red as Mississippi, you know, nothing's for certain in politics anymore, but <laughs> right. uh, Cindy Hines is certainly favored to keep her seat.
0: Zach Montalero, campaign reporter for Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
1: I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for
0: CNN. Joining us now is Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios. There's a lot of shakeups going on at the White House. Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Ricardell has been fired and escorted from the White House. People say it was after a dust-up that she had with the First Lady's office. Melania Trump had said she no longer deserves to work in the White House, so she's gone There's rumors that Chief of Staff John Kelly might be on the chopping block again. And also Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen almost seems like a lock that she will be out soon. All those are in the workings. One person that we do know specifically that is out at the White House is CNN's Jim Acosta. He got his press pass revoked and CNN is now suing to get that back. What do we know about all this, Haley?
3: Jim Acosta last week really came to a head with President Trump, confronting him at this press conference. It got very personal with Trump, saying he's a very rude person and things like that. A rude and terrible person. That's right. And so, you know, I think it was the same day that the White House said they were revoking his press pass. and, And they... Chucked it up to him placing his hands on a young intern at the press conference. Well, CNN, like you said, is now suing the White House and, and President Trump, along with several other aides like John Kelly, the Secret Service director, uh, Sarah Sanders. Several people are wrapped up in this now. They're claiming that his White House press pass revocation is violating their First and Fifth Amendment rights and that it's setting a dangerous precedent for how reporters are able to cover politicians. Of course, the White House is pushing back on this, saying that it's grandstanding from cnn and they will vigorously defend the lawsuit so we are really right at the beginning i think of something that is probably going to be lasting a while
0: you mentioned all the people that were getting sued also in the lawsuit the secret service officer who took jim acosta's press pass is also getting sued and you know he's just the poor guy caught in the middle they told him what to do and take it away And I don't know if you've seen, I saw the uh, Twitter video that Jim Acosta put up there. Just kind of an awkward thing. He's like, hey, well, I guess you got to take it. Let me help you kind of thing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so that poor guy is uh, kind of dragged into this whole thing also.
3: I'm sure he was just following the, you know, Secret Service director's instructions. The people that, of course, were at the top of their list are going to be Sarah Sanders, who has repeatedly defended this on Twitter and in statement. John Kelly, who I'm sure played a role in this on some level. All of those communications people, the people that I'm sure Jim Acosta deals with day to day, They're the ones that CNN is going to be honing in on in
0: this. The reasoning he got his pass revoked has shifted at first, as you said, White House said is because he put hands on a White House intern as she was trying to wrestle the mic away. Then they changed it and just said, you know, he was just acting rowdy and not behaving, basically. What has the White House said now? I mean, How are they going to fight this in court?
3: Sarah Sanders said today that this is grandstanding from CNN and that She had kind of attributed it to and and defending their choice by saying the First Amendment is not served when a reporter attempts to monopolize the floor. So now they're kind of shifting the blame to his questioning of of President Trump and how many questions he asked. And so that just feeds back into the White House's negative perception of CNN. It's been a contentious relationship, to say the least, for a long, long time. And so, of course, we have the White House Correspondents Association president fighting this. Other reporters are outraged about this, saying that this is a very dangerous precedent that if he does this to cnn who else could he do it to essentially which he said last week that he may be suspending other reporters press passes and so i think that this is going to be turning into a much bigger fight than just cnn itself versus the president much more so the the media in general Which, of course, will feed into President Trump's favorite talking point, which is him versus the media and the war between the White House and the fake news media.
0: He didn't revoke CNN completely. They threw out the number uh, that there's about 50 other either reporters or producers that have these hard passes and access to the White House. So it's not like CNN is iced out completely. It's just Jim right. Acosta and they're, and they're saying, you know, it's his conduct, his behavior in there. They do have some standing on that where they're not taking out CNN completely, because if they did that, then that would definitely be a problem.
3: Absolutely. And, and and that's really important to recognize is that there are other reporters from CNN there. I think what it all comes down to is just the nature of, of the revocation and, and the uh, meaning behind it and, and how if, if President Trump were to do this to Jim Acosta, then who wouldn't he do it to and things like that. Again, there are other CNN reporters there. There is a very robust team of White House reporters who are covering the president every day and doing their job day in and day out. Jim Acosta is not the only person who is covering the president. But I think it's the grander idea of the president having the ability to tell a reporter that he cannot come into the White House any longer. That's really kind of ruffling a lot of feathers.
0: There's very few occasions where news organizations sue the president. One of them, interestingly enough, was CNN in 1981, where they sued so they could be included into the White House press pool. It's just funny to see what's going on with this. And as you said earlier, this is the ongoing thing of the war between the White House and and CNN specifically and the media at large.
3: This is something the president loves to touch on. It's something his base loves to see. We've seen it be a very popular talking point in his rallies. His supporters love playing into it at the rallies and yelling at the media, booing the media that's in the bat covering the rally. And so this is kind of just exacerbating that tension and kind of making it a much more tangible battle, I think. Something you can really put your eyes on is this lawsuit now, and then the White House fighting the lawsuit. And so it's kind of just becoming this more dramatic point for the president. I'm sure he'll be using this in his rallies. I'm sure we'll hear this come up when he's speaking with supporters. And so all that's going to do is just stir his supporters up more anti-CNN, that
0: sort of thing. Haley Britsky, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook leave us a comment give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in follow the daily dive on iheart radio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts the daily dive is produced by miranda moreno and engineered by tony sorrentino i'm oscar ramirez in los angeles and this was your daily dive